Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Här kommer ett meddelande från Food Pharmacies samarbetspartner Simple Feast. Simple Feast är en vegetarisk och vegansk mattjänst som levererar tre måltider i veckan där man endast behöver lägga ner 10 minuter. Sen är maten klar att servera. Vi ska titta närmare på deras meny för kommande vecka där det bland annat serveras en mustig växtbaserad gulasch med len potatispuré som är full med färsk timjan och rosmarin. För att balansera smakerna blandas en syrlig rödbetsallad ihop med kaprisvinigrett och rostat bovete. Dessutom kan man njuta av kikärtor i en len kokosås som serveras ihop med en sallad på savoykål, spenat, daddar, pumparkärnor, färsk mynta och citrusdressing. Höjdaren i denna måltid är den bakade auberginen med saffransdressing som får vem som helst att bara vilja ha mer. Så varför inte låta Simple Feast ta hand om nästa veckas måltider? Läs mer och beställ din Simple Feast-kasse nu på simplefeast.com slash foodpharmacy. Slut på meddelandet. Hej Mia. Hallå Lina. Jag ser på dig, du är så glad. Alltså jag sa just det, det ska bli så kul att spela in podd nu och låtsas att man mår bra, mår bra när man har liksom suttit i eh, tågkaos i 45 minuter. Har en eh, son med halsfluss med sig, en valp som bara ylar. Min man är bortrest i tio dagar ah, men Det är verkligen livet Lina Det är kaos Jag vet, du, har, du pratar med rätt person Och jag vet ju att det är minst lika mycket kaos Du har väl just fått eh, samtal från skolan Och din dotter är på någon eh, skidresa Och har kräkts, har kräkts två gånger på vägen upp och, och du för sjutton, du var ju själv på skidresa och kom inte hem Du var ju där i två dagar extra ja, ja. För att alla tåg var inställda Du ringde ju mig med panik efter ett dygn och bara undrade om du någonsin skulle komma hem till Stockholm igen. Nej, det, det, alltså jag skulle kunna ägna ett avsnitt åt SJ. <laughs> eh, och det skulle inte vara det här avsnittet eh, finansieras eller sponsras av SJ. Det skulle nog vara tvärtom så att vi skippar det avsnittet. Ja. <laughs> det var inte SJs fel för att det var snökaos men så dåligt som de har skött det här. Mm. Och noll kommunikation och så många timmar som vi har suttit i kö mm. för att få information om hur vi ska oh. komma hem. Fy. Utan att, och det bara läggs på mm. i örat. Ja, strunt vilket som tur var så fick vi någonstans att bo i alla fall för vi hade ju eh, lämnat eh, stugan som vi hade hyrt så vi hade ingenstans att bo Nej, dessutom så ni stod ute och frös i minus och 25 fyra barn och minus kallare någonsin strunt vilket, det här leder faktiskt mig in på en väldigt eh, bra sak eh, och det är nämligen att ofta när man känner att nu har jag fått Ja, men nu har jag fått nog det kan ju vara med mat mm. eller med att man inte tränar eller i sitt äktenskap eller i en, på, på en arbetsplats där ja. man inte trivs så leder ju det till att man inser att jag måste göra en förändring för jag mm. mår inte bra i Nej. den här situationen det är, jag måste förändra någonting i mitt liv och varför då berättar jag det här? Jo, jag skulle kunna komma in på ett helt avsnitt om det här. Men nu är det ju så intressant att idag så ska vi få lyssna på en intervju som du och jag har gjort. Mm. Och eh, vi har faktiskt haft förmånen att få träffa en av Storbritanniens mest inflytelserika och respekterade husläkare. 
som heter Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Jag vet inte hur man uttalar det. Det är då ett indiskt namn men på engelska. Mm. <laughs> och, så, och lite kort innan vi började den här intervjun så, så var det så att för cirka fem år sedan så kände sig den här Dr. Rangan väldigt uppgiven. Därför att han kunde bara hjälpa cirka 20% av sina patienter. Och de flesta av hans patienter, de hade liksom de åkommorna som, som är vanligast att vi lider av idag. Migrän, diabetes typ 2, depression, krånglande mage, sömnproblem, övervikt, fibromyalgi. Sånt som vi överröses med mejl på vår blogg om varje dag. Och i bästa fall så kunde han ge dem en kostnadskrävande symptomlindring. Och där är vi inne på någonting som, som verkligen berör oss starkt. Därför att det förstår ju alla människor att det i längden inte kommer att fungera. Och en dag så kände doktor Rangan att han tröttnade. Så istället för att slentrianmässigt skriva ut mediciner så började han på allvar rota i orsaken till patienternas tillstånd. Och då märkte han att nästan alla sjukdomar som folk uppsökte hans hjälp för bottnade i livsstilen. Och han reste till experter över hela världen och sen skapade han helt enkelt en enkel metod för att hjälpa patienterna att ta kontrollen över sin egen hälsa och ändra sin livsstil. Och idag då så botar skillnaden idag mot för fem år sedan är att doktor Rangan botar majoriteten av sina patienter tillsammans med patienterna själva. Det är ju ändå väldigt intressant tycker jag. Och han menar på att vi måste vidga begreppen inom sjukvården också. Någonting som vi är inne på att prata mycket om friskvård och hur man ska förebygga sjukdomar via en, en bra livsstil helt enkelt. Så nu så lutar vi oss helt enkelt tillbaka och hoppas att ni kommer tycka att den här intervjun är lika spännande som vi tycker att den är. Och jag är alltså kvar i det här rummet. Jag har bara lyssnat väldigt intensivt på Linda, äh, Linas. <laughs> Exakt så må jag på Lindas instruktion. Tack Linda. Eh, över Tack. till intervjun. Kära lyssnare. Den intervju som ni nu ska få höra på är enligt mig vansinnigt intressant. Och den är på engelska. Och innehåller ett och annat medicinskt fackuttryck. Så varför inte damma av ert gamla lexikon och tryck på paus och slå upp om det blir för svårt? Eller bara vara modern och gå in på translate.google.com. Hur som helst, ha det så trevligt. Yes. Um, cool. You ask me anything you want. Yeah, we have, uh, I mean, we have many questions, but I think... Um... I can talk, so don't feel... Shut me up whenever you want. And to be honest, one of us have read your book and that is Lina. Fine. I haven't had time to read it but no, she briefed me. So I, I know basically the whole book. I've not book. read all my author's books so, either but, when I interviewed them. But if so. I, you know, if I ask you a weird question or whatever, don't Then we be... just cut it out. Yeah, exactly. I don't get it. I, no, I but I also you do a podcast. I, I, I totally get it. Okay. Believe Good. you me. And okay. now I will bring it home after this podcast. <laughs> so I think it's nice to uh, to introduce you uh and uh we don't i mean our podcast is very informal yeah, because so we're very informal people mm. but still you are I, i just wrote down that uh, you are one of the most known gp in great britain yeah right now but uh, there are many people in sweden who might not know who you are and uh you could say that you started a revolution in your country when it comes to uh to lifestyle related yeah. uh, diseases so could you just Tell us a bit about how this all started. Yes, yeah, so look, I've been a doctor now for nearly 18 years. So, you know, I've seen tens 18, of thousands. You look 18. so young. <laughs> it's all the lifestyle, okay? But I think we also qualify it's a early. way of living. <laughs> you look like you're 18, so... No. Well, God, I hope so, I hope so. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, yes, it's nearly been 18 years since I've been seeing patients, which is remarkable, really. And 
in that time, I've realized that actually the tools I learned at medical school are really good for some of the problems that I see. But for many of the problems I'm seeing, they're just not that helpful. And I've realized that, you know, the bulk of what I see now as a doctor, as a GP, 80% of what I see is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. Mm. I'm not putting blame on people. No. Right? I, I understand that it's very difficult these days. You know, life is busy, it's stressful, there's junk food everywhere, our jobs require us to sit down all day and look at screens and computers. So, you know, I'm not putting blame on people, but I've realized that lifestyle drives so many of the problems that I see, yet the tools I learned at medical school were how to diagnose and how to treat with pills, mm. Okay. And I realized that, you know, a few years ago, I was sitting in my practice at the end of the day and I looked back at all the patients I'd seen. It was maybe 42 patients I'd seen that day. And I thought, how many people have I really helped today? And I honestly thought it was about 20%. Mm. I thought the other 80%, yeah, I've done something. I may have given them a prescription. I may have referred them somewhere. But I felt I was just putting a sticking plaster on their problem and not getting to the root cause. So... You know, that was a big turning point for me. But I think, if I'm honest, that the big point for me was when, um, this is just just over eight years ago now. So my son was six months old at the time. And uh, my wife had been breastfeeding him for six months. And we went to Chamonix in France for a holiday. I've read about this, yes. Yeah, and mm. I remember that we were staying in my friend's chalet. And my wife called out to me because my son had stopped moving. He His arms went back, his body went rigid, and he was just vacant and she called out to me I ran over I thought that because he'd had a cold that day and he had a lot of mucus I thought maybe he's choking so I turned him over I slapped his airway on his back to see um, if that would clear his airway nothing happened and my wife said look we've got to get to the hospital now and so you know we rushed to the hospital you could see that the doctors were really worried because he had no temperature he wasn't moving um, he got moved to a bigger hospital. They had two lumbar punctures they did to see if this was meningitis. And we were panicked. We thought we may not, we may lose him that night. And a few hours later, what transpired is that he basically had a low level of calcium in his body that was secondary to a vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm. So basically, my son nearly died from a preventable vitamin deficiency. And I, as a doctor... I used to be a specialist. I've got an immunology degree. Then I moved to general practice. With all my qualifications, I was unable to prevent that in my own son. And there was a lot of guilt attached to that because I I felt very bad that I wasn't able to protect him from this thing happening to him. And modern medicine saved his life, right? So he had low calcium. They gave him an infusion of calcium. He's fine, right? Mm. But nobody taught me, well, if he's been low in that vitamin for the last six months, and maybe when he was in the womb, that's a critical nutrient for his immune system. Mm. So maybe that's why he's got bad eczema. And I thought, well, no one's teaching me what to do and how to fix and repair some of the damage that may have been done. Mm. They just fixed him and say, yeah, you can go now. Mm. And I thought, right, I'm going to find out what's happened, why it happened, and what I can do to get my son back to full health as if this had never happened. That was the sort of promise I made to myself. And I became obsessed for three or four hours a night. I'd read nutrition. I'd read about vitamin D. I'd read about the immune system. I'd read about the gut microbiome, all these gut bugs that live inside us. And I thought, wait a minute, there's a lot of science out there that I'm learning that as a doctor, I know nothing about, that I haven't been taught. And I applied that science, and my son now is a thriving eight-and-a-half-year-old boy who's well, his skin is clear, okay, he's doing great. I applied the same principles with myself and my family. We're all feeling great. And then I started applying those principles with my patients, and I found that I'm, I've never had to prescribe as less medication as I do today. But that's I still use wonderful. it. That's wonderful. And so that was really, you know, that, that's a very shortened version of, the, of my journey, and so... Today, basically, I'm a big proponent that nutrition and lifestyle is very, very important and impacts not only obesity and type 2 diabetes, which everyone always talks about, but also things like headaches, migraines, gut problems like irritable bowel syndrome, even things like mental health problems, depression, anxiety. Lifestyle plays a huge role. And I think we're over-medicating a lot of these patients by giving them pills Sometimes that is indicated, okay? I'm not saying it's never indicated, but I think we're overdoing it. 
you you mean that we should seek for the root of the problem instead of uh, on trying to solve the symptoms? Yeah, exactly. And mm. you'd be surprised, but as doctors, we're actually not taught to find the root cause of a problem. We're taught to diagnose the problem. What's the problem? What's the name we give to that problem? Mm. Once you give it a name, you can then go down the treatment pathway. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it that works very well for acute problems. If you have a pneumonia, mm. right, that works great. You go and see your doctor, you've got a problem, you're coughing, you may be coughing up bloods. The doctor, you know, does some tests and identifies, yes, you have got a bug in your chest that's causing this. I will give you a pill that will kill that bug. And then after a week, your problem's gone, mm. right? Modern medicine is brilliant at acute problems, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's quite as good for the chronic problems that are literally putting all healthcare systems under strain. Yeah, and that is actually the the biggest uh, problem today in our world of in our part of the world. Uh, you told us about your son. We've actually written down a question about vitamin D and um, and how much do you think that we could prevent? I mean, I don't mean in figures, but uh, in this part of the world, the lack of vitamin D is uh, it's big during this season. Yeah. And uh, and there are some countries like in Austria where you uh, get subsidiaries from the states to uh, to uh, get extra vitamin D yeah. as a it, supplement. It's really interesting that because in that French hospital where we were with my son, mm. they said to us, we've seen this three times in the last three years. It's always a British child oh, on oh. holiday. And what's really interesting, I, I've spent a lot of time in Chamonix. I've got a lot of friends there. And... In France, all uh, pregnant women know that as soon as they give birth, they have to take vitamin D, yeah. right? If they're breastfeeding their baby, they have to take four drops, right? So each drop has got 300 units, but if they're breastfeeding, they take four drops. If they're bottle feeding, they only take two drops because forming the milk has been fortified with vitamin D. Yeah. Mm. That So they have no rickets. Uh, when you you know the, the extreme case of vitamin D deficiency is rickets, mm. where your bones don't develop properly, mm. which is what happened to my son, right? Mm. And they don't see it in France because they've got a very robust policy that all children get vitamin D from a young age. Mm. I think the same is in Germany, I think, and and in many other countries around the world. Well, so in Sweden, in yeah. Sweden yeah. that's fantastic, and we have that guidance in the UK, but nobody's following it. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not known about. I'm trying to raise awareness of that. Mm -hmm. I you know as a doctor, I wasn't aware of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so the cases of rickets in the UK at the moment are going up, yeah. which is staggering. You know, it's a Victorian illness mm. that is now going up in the UK. You say, you know, we're here sitting here in Stockholm recording this podcast mm. in what February now. In the UK, you only get the right amount of sunlight mm. to have the right wavelength to make vitamin D in your body between May and September. Mm. I imagine it's the same here, if not or shorter. Or even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gets dark at three o'clock in uh, December. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think, you know, it's quite controversial for some people. But I'm slightly biased because I've seen the problems that vitamin D deficiency can cause in my own family. Uh, but I think vitamin D is one vitamin we should all be considering taking. Um, particularly in the winter months, particularly if you're living here in Sweden. I think it's, you know, it's an important, it's called a vitamin, but actually it's a hormone, the way it works in the body. Mm. Yes, it's critical for your immune system, for your bone strength, uh, for so many things in your body, vitamin D is critical. Mm. Um, you can get a little bit from foods, you know, from animal products, um, but it's very hard to get full amounts mm. unless you're taking a supplement, really. You have to eat a lot, for sure. But what is your reflection about um, uh, criticism against uh, supplements? Because I, I, in, I don't know how it is in Great Britain, but I think it's more common to read about the threat of overdosing vitamin D than uh, not taking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, why is it like that? Because that really scares people. They think that they are not afraid of uh, drinking Coca-Cola and having uh, crisps every day, but they are actually afraid of taking a natural supplement because they think it's not good to overdose you know, it. You, you raise a brilliant point, really good point. And I think there's a natural skepticism within the medical profession of supplements, mm. which I don't agree with, actually. I think it's it's very misplaced. Um, and we'll come on to that. But 
to, to overdose on vitamin D, you have to take so much. Mm. You have to take about 50,000 units a day, right, to start getting to the levels where you're going to overdose. So mm. you can overdose, but it's pretty hard to. Mm. And I think more people are at risk of a deficiency than an overdose. Mm. And I think, you know, we've really got our values slightly misplaced in society where in order to prevent an overdose, we're going to let whole portions of the population be deficient. Yeah. Uh, which I find ridiculous. So, you know, you can always get your levels checked at your doctor and see, are they in the optimal range? That's a very simple way of doing it. But I think for most of us, really in the winter months, taking something like 2,000 units or even 4,000 units a day is not going to overdose. It's not going to cause any problems. Mm. Um, you know, it, obviously different people deem differing amounts. I've got dark skin. Mm. Right, so if you've got dark skin, you probably need a little bit more yeah. because we, you know, people with dark skin need much more sunlight to make the same level of vitamin D. Mm. And so um, I think it's got to be personalized, but I think that, you know, yes, you can overdose, but it's a very low risk. It's just a reflection that uh, we often get the question about, uh, isn't it dangerous to uh, to take supplements if you don't know if you need them? And, uh, and I, I think it's very important to raise the issue that, uh, that it's a bigger risk uh, to many people to have a deficiency. Yeah, and look, there, there might be some supplements where people are taking when they don't need to, okay? Mm. Look, I think it is very hard because... In the UK, the supplement industry is unregulated, mm. whereas the medicines are regulated. Mm. But we try and throw everything out together just because it's unregulated. There are actually some very good quality supplements there as well mm. and some poor quality ones, mm. right? But just because the industry is unregulated, it doesn't mean we shouldn't take any at all. No. It just means we've got to be discerning. We've got to start understanding which are the good ones and why Why might we need to take them. Mm. Uh, so I, I wish doctors got more training on supplements because I think they can be incredibly beneficial for many people mm. uh, when you when you started to uh, try to dig into the root of the problem the core problem why why do so many of us suffer from lifestyle related uh, diseases today and how can we help them you traveled around and you met a lot of experts yeah and then you formed like a model uh, containing four counterparts Yeah. It's uh, rest, exercising, uh, sleep and food. And uh, in your book, you start with uh, rest. So is there, is there, why, why do you start with this counterstop? Okay. So the reason I start with rest and relaxation at the start of the book is because I think it's probably the most undervalued area of health in the 21st century. I think... Of course, food is important. And I touch, you know, I cover food in the book. Um, and, and, you know, you guys have written books on food. You know, food is very, it's common that we think about health, we think about food. Mm. But I don't think we think about rest and relaxation. And stress is a big problem these days. Stress is what the World Health Organization call the health epidemic of the 21st century. Mm. Right? And stress is very toxic for our health. Um, and that's why I remember... You know, I think many people in the UK expected my book to start with food because I've spoken a lot about food before. But I started with the relaxation part of the book on purpose to really grab people and say, hey, relaxation is important. It's equally important for your health as what you put in your mouth. Um, and so that's why I started with that one. Why I think it's such a big issue now is because the modern world, particularly in the last 10 years with, with phones and technology, It has really changed the way we live our lives. And, you know, for, for many of us now, it's simply very hard to be healthy. In fact, for many of us, it's a revolutionary act to be healthy in this kind of toxic modern world in which we're living in. Mm -hmm. And many people find it too hard. So the default setting is to be unhealthy. And I've realized, actually, as I mentioned, that it's not only the, you know, too much weight or type 2 diabetes It's also the little things which really affect us, migraines, headaches, gut problems, mental health problems. There's a lot of research coming out now how food, for example, can help our mental health, mm. how exercise can affect our mental health, how sleep deprivation can cause mental health problems mm. and be used as a treatment. So 
this is not just soft medicine on the side, you know, people, or a bit of lifestyle, you know, but let's get to the real medicine. No, I say for the 21st century, lifestyle is the real medicine mm. for most of the problems, not all of them, right? I'm still very proud to be a doctor. I'm still very proud of the tools that I was taught. They can be life-saving in many instances. Mm. But, you know, I always try and use lifestyle where I can. Can I give you an example? Mm. Right, I, at the start of the book, I, I, I mentioned a story about a 16-year-old boy. Yes, with who, um, a screen uh, that yeah. you give not to. So, so this yeah. is a, a boy who we call Devin in the book. Mm. And he came to see me a few years ago in practice. And I was, you know, busy 10-minute appointments. So Monday afternoon, I was, already had three patients waiting outside. I was running late. And the 16-year-old boy walks in with his mother. And I look at the computer screen. I look at the notes. And I see that on the Saturday, he ended up in the emergency department He'd, he tried to harm himself. Um, the psychiatrist had seen him, had, had reviewed him and said, okay, he's safe to discharge, but wrote me a letter saying, dear Dr. Chastity, can you start him on an antidepressant when you review him? So a medication. And he walks in with his mother and we have a little bit of a chat. And I, and I think, why is, I, I know this family. They seem quite well balanced to me. I've seen them several times over the last few years. Why would the 16-year-old boy try and harm himself. I can't just put him on an antidepressant until I understand what's been going on. Mm. So I spent time talking to him. Mm. And as I was talking to him, I started to get the, the impression that actually the amount of time he used social media, I was concerned that that was impacting his mental health. Mm. And I said, look, Devin, um, yes, I can start you on a drug, but look, I think I found a few things in your lifestyle that may be contributing. Would you like me to try and help you? He said, yeah, sure. I said, look, I think the way you're using social media might be one of the contributing factors here. And he goes, okay, doc, what can I do? I said, well, look, why don't for the next week, for one hour before bed, why not switch your phone off and switch off, you know, don't go on the internet and don't go on social media. Okay, so he comes back one week later. I say, how are you feeling? He said, look, I'm still not great. I still feel low, but something's changing. I'm sleeping a bit better and I'm less up and down in the day. I said, okay, how about we do one hour in the morning as well then? Okay, he comes back again, again, a little bit, feeling a little bit better. Over the course of six weeks, we changed that to being two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening. And bit by bit, he's starting to feel a little bit better. He's still not great, but he's starting to improve. And about that time, I read a big study that suggested that actually the food we eat can play a role in our mood. I thought, hmm, I wonder what he's eating. So I asked him, I said, what are you eating? And it was like a classic 16-year-old boy, lots of junk food, lots of sugary treats. Um, you know, he was feeling hungry every two hours and he'd snack a little bit more. And I said, look, Devin, when you're feeling hungry every two hours, it's because you're eating high sugar foods. Your, your blood sugar's going up and then it's crashing down again. Now, when you feel hungry, that's not just a hunger issue. When your blood sugar drops your stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol in the body go up and that can impact your mood hormones. This is what you, uh, this is what you call um, nutritional stress in your book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And mm -hmm. I said to him, did you know that? He said, hey, doctor, I had no idea. And I said, look, if we can give you a few foods that just help stabilize your blood sugar, you probably won't feel as hungry and you probably won't have this mood going up and down. Now, He didn't completely overhaul his diet to being a whole food organic diet. No, he made a few simple changes. He had a protein-rich breakfast, so he'd have eggs for breakfast instead of a sugary cereal. And he took nuts with him to school mm -hmm. so that when he was feeling hungry, it would just keep him full and keep his blood sugar stable. Right? And mm -hmm. I was saying, let's see what happens. Now, I then didn't see him for a few months. Right? He didn't come back. And that's not uncommon in medical practice. We don't always manage to track all of our patients because we're busy, right? Mm -hmm. Six months later, I came into my practice. I was going through my mail and there was a letter and I opened the letter and it was from his mother. It said, Dear Dr. Chatterjee, I just want to say thank you. You've completely changed Devon's life. He's a happy child. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Now he's engaged at school, he plays sports at the weekends, and he's got a lot of friends now. I just want to say thank you. That's so nice. Yeah. And I just, and that taught me how powerful lifestyle is because that is a boy who at 16, right, he was at a fork in the road. He could have been labeled with depression and put on an antidepressant, and almost certainly still to this day, he'd still be taking it. Okay. But instead, he took another fork. We had an opportunity to teach him how the lifestyle choices he was making was impacting his health. Mm. And then he learned by changing them, he can improve the way he feels. Now, he now is empowered. So if in the future he goes downhill again, he knows what he has to do. I'm not saying that works in every case, right? Sometimes people do need medication, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that case illustrates beautifully how powerful our lifestyles can be. You you talk about uh, this in your book and and uh, you write that uh, it's important to have a new vision for the healthcare system uh, in order to empower patients to take control of their own health. I wonder in Great Britain, um, is this provocative? I mean, have you received a lot of criticism from colleagues or journalists? Because in Sweden, it people get quite provoked when you when you talk about uh, you know mental health and uh, depression and related to lifestyle it's like people think that you try to blame yeah. someone but even though it's not blaming you try to help someone yeah. to see that there are other ways than just medicine there yeah. are several ways i think you bring up a really really great point and the first one is about the whole thing about blame Right, so when I, whenever I talk about this, and hopefully you've seen that when you read my book, is that I really I take a very kind and compassionate tone towards people. Mm. I'm not blaming people. I'm trying to help empower people. People understand that lifestyle affects their weights. They don't understand, or many of us don't understand, that it affects our mental health. And so what I'm trying to do is raise awareness and say, hey, look, you may not realize that actually A, B, and C might be contributing. And look, I just want to be very clear that There are other factors in playing a role in our mental health as well. Some of people have had emotional trauma, which has impacted their mental health and all kinds of other things. So I don't mean to say everything can be uh, cured using this approach. I'm using that as an example. But is it provocative? I think it's a little bit provocative. When I first started five years ago, when my first TV series came out where I went into patients' houses, I lived with them for four to six weeks and I helped them get I help some of them reverse their conditions, but all of them improve just by using lifestyle. I think a lot of people were a bit taken aback and they were, you know, I got a bit of abuse on social media saying, what are you doing? You know, this is not, you know, and I found that hard because I thought, hold on a minute, I've just helped this person who's been sick for 10 years on medications and the doctors can't get him better. And I've helped them in six weeks and I didn't understand why people would attack me. Mm. I, I was really confused, but I've understood that actually... It's so alien to certain ways of thinking this. Um, But I've got to say recently, for the last few years, I've not really. In fact, um, the medical profession seems to be embracing this. Mm. I've created a brand new course, the first course accredited by the Royal College of GPs called Prescribing Lifestyle Medicine. Really? Where I teach doctors. That's so good. And we trained 500 last year. Maybe we're going to do 1,000 this year. Not just GPs, cardiologists, psychiatrists, endocrinologists. And they're using these principles now with their patients. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of demand now, even from Stockholm. Mm. uh, Some doctors have contacted us saying, look, can you come and teach this over here? So Mm -hmm. if we can get enough interest in Sweden, we're all going to come out and try and teach doctors here. Because once doctors understand the science behind this, Mm -hmm. they want to use it. Exactly. But at the moment, they don't. I'll give you an example, right? Give Mm -hmm. me an example. Mm -hmm. Food and mood, Mm -hmm. right? Two years ago, February 2017, there was a trial that came out in Australia, a randomized control trial that showed that diet 
can improve depression. First time we've done that, okay? Mm -hmm. So they took 67 people who've got moderate to severe depression and they were already on treatments. Half of the group were put in a group where they changed their diet to what's called a modified Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. The other half were put in a social support group. After just 12 weeks, the group who changed their diet, 32% of them had gone into remission. The other group, only 8%, right? Mm. So that was very, very significant. I lectured in front of some doctors maybe a year and a half ago. There's 200 doctors in the room. I said, when you are seeing patients with mental health problems, how many of you talk about food? And 5% of them put their hand up. Then I gave them a 20-minute presentation on all the new science. I said, how many of you are going to now talk to your patients about food? And they all put their hand up. So the point is, there is science out there, but it hasn't permeated into medical training. So the reason doctors are not bringing this up, A, they're not taught about it and they don't know how to. And that's what I'm passionate about changing is to show people there is science about it, uh, but not only science, right? If we think about one of the basic principles of being a doctor is the Latin phrase, primum non necere, first, do no harm, okay? An antidepressant, right? On the side effect list on an antidepressant, it will say on every packet, rare side effect increases your risk of suicide, Mm -hmm. right? So that is a documented side effect of an antidepressant, Mm -hmm. okay? I I appreciate it's rare, but it's still a documented side effect. Mm -hmm. So there is a downside to potentially prescribing that drug, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say, why don't we use harmless interventions first why not try changing someone's diet and see how they feel Mm. and a lot of us assume oh a patient won't want to change their diet they don't want to do it well really i haven't found that i have found when you treat your patients compassionately when you explain to them why you think it might be helpful and you help them structure it within their life i find most patients want to do it Mm. right now I'm not saying some patients don't need an antidepressant straight away because they're really, really sick, right? I just, I, I, I always say that because I don't want to be misinterpreted, mm. right? But I think often we use it, we're not using lifestyle enough and it really can be very powerful. When you talk about food, you also talk about intermittent fasting. This is something we have uh, written about and talked about right. quite a lot. And also lived after. Yeah. So what do you guys do? We uh, Actually, I was a person who ate the moment I woke up. You know, I just put something in my mouth and that was... Snap. The, yeah, that was the reason I basically went up in the morning because I was so tired. Because of your toast (laughs) yeah you were longing for your toast yeah and then uh, the last thing I did before I went to sleep was to eat and uh, talking about I mean uh, bringing up science it's really important of course all these studies but also I think that we tend to forget in this society that even though science is important we still know within us by empiric uh, how do you say in uh, empirical empirical data and uh, from from when I changed my lifestyle I mean I can just say that I don't need any studies to prove that uh, I'm so uh, much better after I've changed my diet and I've changed other parts in my lifestyle you don't need someone else to validate that for you you know it's working for you right And that's the best ambassador, I think, because and, then, and that, yeah, then you I, can help other by yeah, just and, and telling my that. goal with every single patient, right, is to help empower them mm. so that they understand what the choices they're making are doing to them. Mm. It's the same thing, like, let's say on a Friday evening, right, a group of people get together, they have a few drinks in a, in a bar, mm. okay? They're having fun on a Friday night. They know that on a Saturday morning, they might have a headache mm. and they won't be able to do much on the Saturday morning because they'll have a hangover. But they're doing that in the knowledge. On a Friday night, they know that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But they're doing that with the knowledge. They think, I'm going to get enough enjoyment out of the Friday night mm-hmm. to put up with the consequences. Mm-hmm. I want to do the same thing for lifestyle with my patients. I want them to understand that, let's say, food is improving their mood. Once they understand that, if they choose not to do that, okay, I'm okay with that. Because people should be allowed to do what they want to do. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to... I don't tell people what they should do with their life. I want to empower them so they understand. And I find when patients understand it, then they think, yeah, you know what? 
I kind of like eating well because I feel good. Mm. And when I don't eat well, I don't feel so good. Ah, maybe I'll start eating better, right? Mm. That is much more likely to be long-standing. Yeah, yeah. Um, for but sure. The reality is there is science there, but I do think we sometimes as a society and even as a medical profession, we put too much emphasis on what the science says because science, I, I must tell you this, you know, I've been seeing patients for 18 years now. Science guides what I do but it doesn't mm. dictate what I do. Mm. And the reason is trying to get somebody better in front of you, it's not just science. There's an art to medicine. There's, there's, a, there's an art to getting people better. And you have to blend the science with the, the, the personality in front of you. Mm. Not all the science is relevant for the guy in front of me. Mm. And so I've learned that this comes with experience. How do you use the best science and make it applicable for the, for the person in front of you? Um, and, you know, you... I, the, the recommendation I make in the book is um, this on the intermittent fasting is is um, what I call a twelve hour eating window. Mm. So you can you can get more aggressive than that. But I say that there's a lot of research now saying that if you eat all the food you want to eat, if you eat it within twelve hours, you get benefits. Your mm. immune system functions better. Uh, your blood sugar control is better. You will lose weight simply by not changing what you eat, only changing when you eat. Mm. And I think 12 hours is achievable for people. It yes, is. for sure. Yes, for sure. Now, you could you could say, can I make it 10 hours or eight hours? Sure, some mm. people could. Mm -hmm. But my approach is a bit different. I say, look, if you're getting 12 hours, give yourself a tick mm. and move on to something else. Mm. Instead of trying to go in one area and really max it out, I think 12 hours is going to be achievable for people long term. Mm. I don't want them doing eight hours for one week and then flipping back to yeah, 15 exactly. hours. Mm. And, and so I think that's why this book has done so well around the world is because it's quite achievable. Yeah, it's yeah. achievable. It, it doesn't feel too much. And no. it sounds like you, you work a lot with baby steps. Like yeah. take it step by step. Don't uh, change everything overnight. Yeah, because... Look, my own personality is, and this I five, six years ago, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to change everything. Diet, movement, sleep, everything in one go, right? And that's great. We can all do that for a few weeks. But mm. often we just then flip back afterwards. Yeah, I know. Mm. Done it. Exactly. <laughs> Myself. And, and so the approach that my recommendation with anyone listening to this podcast mm. is think about these four key areas with your own health. Mm. Food, movement, sleep, and relaxation. Mm. Which area do you think you need the most help with yeah. right and start there pick one easy thing there in fact let me ask you two which are those four pillars i know you guys are interviewing me i'm sorry because no, i'm used no, to, no. to you, but Come on. <laughs> i know you told us you have a po podcast of your own yeah so, so, now. I, so i can't help it but yeah. I, i'm always intrigued out of those four areas mm -hmm. which one do you think you struggle with the most before it was food, yeah. but as um, we've changed it already, I would say I I um, struggle a lot with with stress at the moment. Yeah, me too. That's so the one I for need me. Re relaxation. Yeah, that that is uh, the mm. one for me as well, mm. and I think this is why we've gone into that area more and more. Yeah. And this is why I was so happy when I read your book, and this was the first thing you brought up, because I told Mia uh, on on our way here that i feel cheated by our culture someone no, you said you you felt cheated uh, by life <laughs> yeah but i mean by by what yeah. i meant is by our culture because i was taught to uh, to really you know that life was you need to achieve things you should never rest you know yeah. that you should just go for it and you should be best in school and then you go to university and then you study really hard and you get a job and you shouldn't lie down because you shouldn't be lazy and all these things. So I've been like follow this book and for I thought... For 40 damn years. Yeah, for 40 <laughs> years. And I thought I was, you know, best in class, basically. Uh, I thought I've done this by the book and, uh, and soon I will get a reward or something. <laughs> yeah. But then I woke up and I was like 41, like I'm now. And I felt, no, Stop. someone has cheated me. <laughs> because the only thing I didn't learn was how to take it easy and just breathe and just, you know, enjoy, enjoy what's life. happening today. No yeah. one told me. And and that's, I, I was just thinking, I told Mia, how could all these people 
that surround me that are 50, 60, 70 years old, why haven't they told me yeah. that uh, <laughs> stop running, you know, just relax because you might be dead tomorrow and you will be dead earlier yeah, if you stress a, like this. Such a serious issue. And I, I've got to say there's so many personality traits that you're talking about yourself which are identical to me mm-hmm. you know I could almost relay the same story back to you from from myself you know I also have been driven like that my whole life and I realized actually resting and relaxation is just as valuable as anything else we do for our health mm-hmm. and arguably it's never been as important as now because I think even 15 years ago I think you could get away with that kind of lifestyle because there would be some natural rest there. Mm. I really do think the last 10 or 15 years, particularly with technology and social media, it's changed everything where we are wired the whole time. Mm. Um, One of my top tips for people, and it's something I've been using with a lot of my patients who struggle with stress, but also who struggle with anxiety, is a breathing technique that that I came up with in my practice a few years ago called the three, four, five breathing technique. Mm-hmm. And basically uh, you breathe in for three, you hold for four and you breathe out for five. Mm-hmm. If that, we can try it if you want. Yeah, yeah. Sure, so, yeah. Okay, so sure, I'll count perfect. it. So, we love as, breathing. As it's your po- podcast, we do what you want <laughs> us to do. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't help it. Okay. And now it so, happened again. Okay. okay. So, okay, breathe in for three. Mm. Hold for four, one, two, three, four, and breathe out for five. Okay, so so how do you feel after one breath? I, that, that's I love it. Yeah, because I fell just asleep. one breath. That's one so breath, nice. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one breath. It takes twelve seconds. Oh. Five rounds of that takes one minute. Okay. Oh, yeah. Any time that you breathe out for longer than you breathe in Mm -hmm. you have to switch off the stress part of your nervous system and you have to promote the relaxation and rest part of your nervous system Mm -hmm. okay there are many other great breaths out there the one i this is the one i came up with in clinic because i wanted something easy to remember that Mm -hmm. people couldn't get wrong i've i've got a teacher one of my patients is a teacher works with special needs kids Mm -hmm. and gets really stressed out and at lunchtime will normally have five cigarettes just to deal with the stress Mm -hmm. this is a a few years ago and I said, look, why don't you try some deep breathing at lunchtime? He laughed at me at the first time. He said, breathing, what's that going to do? Okay. Mm-hmm. But bit by bit, I introduced this into his life. And now, a few years on, every lunchtime he goes to his car, he does this for between three and five minutes. He sails through the afternoon, right? He doesn't. The stress doesn't affect him because he's lowered his stress response at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And then he's also told me he's closer to his wife because he goes home in the evening in a, in a much better state of mind than Lovely. when he's wide and ramped up all day. Mm-hmm. And I've now unfortunately had to start teaching this to children. Mm-hmm. Students, adolescents who are having too much pressure being put on them at school, who are getting stressed out. Mm-hmm. And this breath can be done anywhere. You can do it on the train, you can do it in the car, you can do it anywhere you want. It doesn't take long, right? Mm-hmm. It's really powerful and it's free, mm-hmm. right? So that's, you know, for people at home who are listening to this, I'd encourage them to... You know, if you're suffering from stress or anxiety, mm. you know, try one minute of deep breathing like that. Who isn't today? Who isn't? I exactly. Mean, yeah. mm. So uh, please do this now. Mm. <laughs> I'm doing it now. <laughs> no pressure, yeah. but do it. Mm. But uh, talking about that, uh, about the listener, what would, because what I feel when I read about, um, you you suggest to have a sun, no, not sunscreen. Um, Screen-free screen Sabbath. Screen-free Sunday. That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, sunscreen. Sunscreen. Uh, sunscreen on Sundays. Yeah. Mm. Free, uh, sun, a screen-free Sunday. Mm. Uh, and what's bothering me today, it's not... Uh, it's also by uh, it's also has to do with me because I have two children, and I feel that uh, I try to uh, uh, try to you know activate them so they not spend too much time in front of the screen. And when I see small children, you know, today they sit and they have the, their screens, and some, you know, they sit for a whole weekend and immediately when they come home. So what what is I mean, how should we as parents uh, think when it comes to screens? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great question. It's something that many of us as parents are very concerned about at the moment because it's such a new technology. So we're still learning more. Uh, I, I have my concerns. I think we should be limiting screen time on children. Personally, that's my view. I've seen it cause a lot of problems in my practice. And whilst we're waiting for more science and research to come out, I think I would urge caution. But the first thing I'd say 
is that, you know, in I, look, my children are eight and six. So I've only been a dad for what, eight and a half years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there are people listening who've got much more experience than me as mm-hmm. a parent. But one thing I've learned in eight years of parenting is that kids don't really do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. Mm-hmm. So the uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we all, uh, you know, I think kids are a great mirror reflection because often they start exhibiting behaviors that you think, oh, you know what? That's kind of my behavior. And they just picked that up from yeah, me. And, right. it, and it helps. It's one of my biggest motivations to change my behavior is actually when I see something I don't yeah. like about myself yeah, exactly. coming back at me from my yeah. children. Then I think, well, I can't really tell them not to do that because they've no. just seen me do that. It makes you a better person. <laughs> I think it does. I really think it does. So I think we've got to model that sort of behavior in front of them. If they see us on our screens all the time in front of them, mm. They're going to think that's what I want to do. And that's the Mm. hardest thing because, you know, screens are made to be addictive. Mm. You know, you talk to people in tech companies, as I have, they say, you know, we're very cautious with our kids because we know how addictive this stuff is. Mm. So, you know, the first thing is we've got to model that behavior ourselves. Another thing I think is really good for kids, it's not directly to do with, well, it's sort of to do with screens. So I'd say make mealtime screen-free times, Mm. right? I think mealtime should be something where we put screens away. Mm. Um, and I really, you know, sometimes I'm sure my wife wouldn't be happy about me saying this, but sometimes I think she'll look at a screen at, you know, at dinner time, she'll want to like order the shopping online or something like that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel really strongly that, you know what, we really, we've got to make meal times sacred. We've got to switch off the screens. There's mm-hmm. got to be like a connection time for the family. Mm-hmm. So I think having no screens there is really important. And mm-hmm. then the other thing we do, which I, again, has been life-changing for us with our kids, is we play a gratitude game mm-hmm. every dinner time. Mm-hmm. So we're not particularly religious. There's nothing to do with religion. This is, we go around the table and we all have to answer three questions. What have I done today to make somebody else happy? Mm-hmm. What has somebody else done today to make me happy? Mm. And what have I learned today? Mm. And it's incredible what that does because as humans, we're naturally drawn to the negatives that have happened. This helps reframe your mindset to the positive. Mm. And there's lots of scientific research now showing you that gratitude, a daily practice of gratitude helps your physical health and your psychological health. Mm. And, you know, last week my daughter came back, we were playing in the evening and she's only six. And she said, oh, daddy, today... Um, Annabelle opened the door for me at lunchtime and kept it open as I walked through to the playgrounds. And it's such a small thing, but it's helping to teach the kids yeah. at young age, how do you look on the positive in yeah. life? Yeah, and yeah. she saw it. Uh, yeah. Yes. And they, they're else. getting better at it as they play exactly. it. And, you know, if I'm honest, I introduced the game. I thought this would be great for my children. Mm. I've got to say, it's pretty damn good for me and my wife yeah. as well because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, life is pretty good today, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'd encourage people listening. And you save a lot of money if she's shopping. Yeah. She used to shop while you were eating. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so it's good so, in so, so, both ways. Win-win. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that is, uh, I do that game um, when we go to bed, but I oh, ask brilliant. them, uh, what are you grateful for today? And, you know, and we share uh, with each other and to me that is very important because I want them to go to sleep with you know what can I uh, happy thoughts yeah and uh, and just to bring the good from the day to the next day or to their sleep so I I think it's it's so important to do that and there are so many different ways you can do it you can do it your way you can do it the way I've Mm. you know and all these things can be personalized to an individual family. Sure. Yeah. It's not about following someone else's. It's just trying to give people ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know in the UK, since this book came out, so many uh, families, a lot of mothers contact me on social media and say, I can't believe how much my kids love this game. It's mm-hmm. changed our family dinner times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really happy to know that these tips, and that's just one of them, but all these tips are being used by people all around, well, all around the world now to help them improve their lives, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Mm-hmm. That is a really good, actually, because I often feel that people um, uh, uh, don't know. I mean, when you talk to children, it can be, so what did you eat today in school? Oh, tell me yeah, about exactly. It. <laughs> that is the most common question. When did you uh, go home? Did uh, you bring home your homework? <laughs> yeah, because you just want to start a conversation. Exactly. And then uh, you... They look at you with blank faces. Oh, mm. nothing. What did you do today? They nothing. They hate that yeah. kind of questions. Nothing. All day yeah, you no. did nothing? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very good to uh, to find a way to have a like deeper conversation. Yeah, Because 100%. that leads to uh, another Question, level hopefully mm. <laughs> so um, 
actually we will um, we will recommend uh, everyone to uh, read your book. Oh, thank we you. We think it's. Uh, I mean, she will soon <laughs> <laughs> think it's very good. It is very good, I can say. And uh, we will also. Um, Uh, write on it on our blog. Oh, thank you. That's incredible. I really appreciate the support. Mm. Mm. Yes, of course. And we hope that you uh, when you come back to Sweden you will be a guest again. I'd love to be. With pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Not at all. Nice to meet you both too. Thanks. Om ni vill veta mera om denna fantastiska doktor så kan ni gå in på doktorchargy.com Ja, jag tar det långsamt. Det är c h a t t e r j e e.com. Så, du har ju precis som du sa också läst hans bok Fyra nycklar till ett bättre liv. Hälsoobalansen. Fyra nycklar till ett bättre liv. Vad tyckte du om den? <laughs> Nej, det här är jätteroligt, vet du varför? För den heter inte hälsoobalansen, Nej. den heter hälsobalansen. Det säger någonting om din state of mind. Sa jag hälsoobalansen? Den heter hälsoobalansen faktiskt. Åh, oh, men visst är det skönt att man ändå får vara människa och inte skämmas över det. Jag har ändå kommit dit i livet. Ja. Det är nog min det var en klassisk Freudian slip. Det är min hälsoobalans jag ville ge uttryck för. Den här boken Hälsobalansen som jag borde läsa men inte har hunnit eftersom Nej. vi delar upp sådant jobb mellan oss och den här längsta stråt drog du den här gången. Mm. Vad tyckte du om den? Alltså den är helt eh, fantastisk men för mig så handlar ju också den här boken, du kan läsa många böcker under ditt liv men att få rätt bok vid rätt tillfälle är ju någonting som, som inte alltid händer utan jag kan ofta gå tillbaka och tänka den där boken mm. skulle jag nog uppskatta nu Just i det. livet. Stor jämkänning. hälsobalansen mm. <laughs> är ju, när den kom till mig så kände jag att eh, det här är precis vad jag behöver. Därför att eh, jag har de senaste åren haft arbetat väldigt mycket med en del av min livsstil. Men, eh, men jag känner att det är någonting som skaver. Och eh, det här sätter då doktor Rangan verkligen eh, spotlighten på. Ja. Och han lyfter ju fram precis det som jag känner att jag söker efter mitt liv. Mm. Nämligen stillhet och tid för mig själv. Mm. Och reflektion och eftertanke. Jag kommer snå med mig den boken nu. Hem. Är det okej? Okay? Nej. <laughs> Nej, du kommer aldrig släppa den. <laughs> Nej, du får köpa ett eget text. Ja, och min bok då, Hälsoobalansen, <laughs> eh, den kommer att släppas... Eh, mars 2020 så håll utkik efter den ja. så nu ska jag rädda min, mitt barn från, eh, från halsflusen blir svårt men jag ska rädda mitt barn, min hund dig, mm. alla åka hem och kurera alla låter bra, jag kan i alla fall avsluta då med att jag rekommenderar alla hälsobalansen mm. av doktor Rangan Chatterje, den är så bra och någonting jag tror att de flesta, som jag känner i alla fall, skulle må bra av att läsa. Perfekt. Tack. Ses vi nästa vecka. Hej. Hej. Du har lyssnat på Food Pharmacy-podden. Hurra! Medverkande var som vanligt Mia Klase och Lina Nertby och dagens gäst var Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Jag heter Sebastian Ring och står för klippning och med hjälp av mitt band Celeste även för musiken. Dagens tips är att gå in på vår blogg foodpharmacy.se och sedan hitta oss på Instagram under namnet food_pharmacy. Hej då! Hold up! 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.